Hey, y'all, if you're enjoying this podcast, take two seconds, send it to five friends. Um, some of the top episodes would be the self-confidence, masculinity, and the Byron Rogers podcast if you want to send uh, some of the top ones to them. Otherwise, just take 30 seconds and review it on whatever podcast uh, application you use, whether it be Spotify, YouTube, Google, iTunes, Amazon, any of them. Thank you. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com proceed with caution all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, we are back with the next episode of Squared Away. Having some technical difficulties this morning, but we are up and running. Everything looks good. Um, We've been kind of waiting a hot minute on this one after the after the last time we had Rosie on the show, but we had some some issues and we had to pull that episode down. But we wanted to make sure that we got Rosie back because there this is a this is a topic that everyone needs to know about. Everyone needs to talk about. We need to make sure that people are aware, and awareness is the first step. So, Rosie, I know you've kind of changed your modality a little bit since the last time we talked. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and kind of telling everybody what, what that transition meant and, and where, what space you're in now. Well, thanks you guys for having me. I'm very appreciative of your platform. You cover a wide variety of topics and I'm very, very appreciative that you are tapping into this arena of human trafficking and exploitation and allowing me to share what I do because 
just like you said, awareness is the first step to leading to action and change. So we can't just um, spread awareness and be done. We have to have some actionable steps. So thank you for having me and thank you both for what you're doing. And I am a human trafficking and exploitation prevention educator. I am a trainer uh, on human trafficking and I'm also a healing conduit. So those from the outside, if you don't know a lot about exploitation and human trafficking, that may seem like a hodgepodge, but it's actually a really phenomenal yin-yang balance for me because um, like a lot of people in this realm, I'm empathic. And so taking in some really, really heavy, heavy cases and information can weigh you down. And so on the opposite side of that spectrum, I get to also spark healing for people. And I'm seeing some phenomenal, miraculous transformations and breakthroughs. So I can talk a little bit about that. But regarding the prevention side of what I do, I have a curriculum that I have written for teens on exploitation and human trafficking prevention. I also do assault prevention for school groups and youth groups and for parents and educators as well. I train, I'm a human trafficking educator, so I train companies uh, internationally and domestically about human trafficking, what it is, why should they care, how it shows up in their industry, and what they can do, like actionable steps and resources regarding what they can do uh, to, to really make an impact including, you know, supply chain management, um, all the way to some phenomenal high tech resources like facial recognition in airports, um, helping companies come alongside this issue, um, to make an, to make an impact, make a difference. And, um, regarding the healing side of what I do, uh, what I call it is a healing modality or a trauma release. And it is loosely based on a technique that's taught by an NGO, the Association for the Recovery of Children. They refer to, refer to the modality as active prayer protocol. So I've taken part of what they do and I've learned from different trauma specialists and different healers and have developed something myself and have been practicing on a variety of different people in the past year, including people who have suffered from very intense uh, trauma, both physically, sexually, and psychologically. And the fact that um, I can be a conduit to promote healing and transformation and breakthroughs for, for people I have the privilege to work alongside is, is really wonderful, amazing, and gives me a lot of momentum to keep going in this space. And it's a great balance for me too, when I get weighed down um, by some of the heavy, heavier cases, very dark elements of this space. So that's what I do on a consulting basis. And then I also work for a nonprofit called The Noble. And with The Noble, I get to use my skills. My background is with the Federal Reserve Bank. I used to be in media relations with the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. So the noble fights human crime through the financial sector. So one of the things we do at the noble to um, awaken, equip, and deploy people within the financial sector. We host different roundtables and webinars 
do different case studies and measure what we're teaching them. So we work alongside these groups to, to um, not only talk about larger movements of money and money laundering, but also these purchase patterns that can show up. Um, you know, at hotels and massage parlors and within gaming sites, uh, within amusement parks, um, things like that. And not only where the purchases are happening, but certain increments and studying those and being able to train people on how to detect and interrupt potentially exploitative situations, including trafficking situations so that we can then have them work with law enforcement or the FBI to follow a SAR, a suspicious activity report. So what the reason that is so impactful is that the root of why all this is happening is for financial gain. So if we can interrupt some of those, um, some of those streams, that is huge. That that was the part that I was so interested in, like just the simple um, kind of pattern recognition and stuff like that. Like I, before hearing you talk about it, it was, I never even thought about that being a thing. Like I'm sure there are specific things that are happening in these accounts because it's probably not like, right. It's not like your account that you're using to buy your groceries and your gas and stuff. Right. It's probably like specific accounts that they're using to do a lot of this stuff. And I never even, never even crossed my mind that that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. And you'd think that like exploiters who are uh, befriending kids in within gaming sites, you'd think, Oh, well, what are they going to get from kids? But they can um, extort them for gift cards. Uh, That's a really common thing um, to, you know, first utilize um, befriending them and they're obviously posing as another kid and then there may be a sextortion scheme mixed in and exploiting um, inappropriate images from the youth and then threatening that they will share those images if they don't send you know this amount of money on a an Amazon gift card or a Target gift card what have you so that's very very common so I, one of the blocks against that is being an active and engaged parent and having open conversations with your kids about this and being aware of what platforms they're on and who they're gaming with and making sure, you know, you're gaming with people you actually know. A common line I use within training youth is a friend of a friend is not your friend. So imagine how we as an, as adults, we can we have to learn how to trust people and there's certain mechanisms that we utilize personally to trust people. And okay, are they following through with their word? Can I, um, is this person dependable? Is this person kind? Is this person trustworthy? But then throw that into a virtual setting where manipulation is just so easy. Um, it's really almost impossible for a youth to discern on their own who's trustworthy, who's not, because you can hide behind technology and do some massive manipulation and um, a whole heck of a lot of damage. So parents, you're the number one defense against this. So it's, it's a whole new game. It's a whole new digital age that we're navigating. So 
the more you know, um, the more you can deter this. But that's one example of the type of of the type of um, situations that we can help banks and financial institutions interrupt. And we're like, right, it's a squared away podcast. We're all about like actionable advice, right? So um, why don't we start by just kind of kind of the awareness of it? Like what what is the actionable steps, the actionable advice, the 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 knowledge that our listener base, that everybody that's going to listen to this podcast should have? Like what are some different situations we should be looking for? What are some oddities that should catch our attention? What are, or just kind of open up and just give us, you know, as much of that as you can, because that's, that's what we're really here for, right? We're here for, yes, awareness is good, but being aware of what we should look for and aware of how we can fix it. And we'll get into the fixing it and, and what we can do later, but let's just kind of, let's break into the, the awareness of what to look for, what, what are red flags, stuff like that. Okay. Yes. I'd love to do that. And then in addition, after I describe, I'm happy to lay out different, you know, resources and lists of things that you can do. But um, just for the awareness piece, um, something that I used within a training recently for a, a global company that has connections within airports, um, they provide services within airports. Um, I utilized something that my daughter and I saw this summer at the Minneapolis St. Paul International Airport when we were checking in uh, for a flight. We were waiting and two parties ahead of us in line, I saw a Caucasian woman. She looked about in her late 40s and she was with a girl who looked of Hispanic descent and she was about 13, I'm guessing. And she was brushing this girl's hair in the line for a check-in. And I thought that's, that's odd. And so I'm looking and I noticed that the, the woman, the adult woman had no luggage and the youth was carrying, um, like, uh, sacks, like from a grocery store, plastic bags. And so she had a backpack on carrying plastic bags, no luggage either. And I noticed that the female, the adult female had a flower tucked in her hair, which was odd. You know, we're in the Midwest and it's, I mean, it is, it was summertime, but that is, you know, that's more of a Hawaiian thing when you step off the plane or a tropical thing. So that was a nonverbal symbol um, to someone else that she's probably going to hand off this girl to someone else. And the girl also in the plastic bags had roses as well. So that could have been another nonverbal signal. And when I made eye contact with the young girl, I, I know I just locked eyes with her and she locked eyes with me. And then she waved at me. And then she turned to the adult and said, why is everyone staring at us? So I went and contacted um, security and unfortunately, the security guard came and spoke to the, the two within the line, which was not a great idea. They, they should have separated the two. However, at least they were approached. And the security guard just made small talk, asked questions about where they were going. And after the security guard left, the woman asked um, a custodian walking by for a mask. So she's asking for a mask 
before she approaches the check-in desk so she can cover up her identity and she was applying for an unaccompanied minor ticket and she was in the wrong line. She was in an international line and she was trying to have um, this girl fly to California. So that's obviously a domestic flight from Minneapolis, St. Paul. So also some signs that I saw red flags, the female, the adult female and the youth both had bright fuchsia hair. So that's not a, that's not a 100% indicator. However, it is used to mask identity and the bright colors are obviously, they stand out. And the, so the female had, was blonde. So her fuchsia hair color really stood out. And the adult, the, excuse me, the youth had darker hair. So she had matching tips. Um, to match what could have been her handler or her groomer's <clears throat> hair color. And the adult also had tattoos on her neck. She had tattoos on her feet. She was wearing high wedge heel shoes that were too big for her. They had a big gap in the back. And she was very weathered, um, she, very weathered, very, she looked around my age, like mid to late forties. And she just looked tough, like perhaps she had um, abused drugs. And she, her posture was very nervous. She was um, hunched over and looking around constantly. So that, that's a red flag right there. Um, I will, I will also toss in, I am, I also teach situational awareness within my trainings. So something I look for off the crack of the bat is nervousness is um, people within airports, do they match? Do they look like a family? And, um, you know, obviously I have members in my family who are um, not of the same nationality as me. So that's not an indicator necessarily, but it's something to watch out for. Do they look like a match? Does the parent look like they, they know or care what they're doing <laughs> with their children? You know, is there, um, how's the energy going there? Do are their eyes darting around? Are they always looking over their shoulder? Um, one thing to look at is their pupils. Are the pupils dilated? Are they nervous? Is there fear present? Um, does their face, the, I mean, we're getting into the really nitty gritty details here, but does their face match the, the skin tone of the rest of their body? Because your face can heat up and have a different tone, more redness when there's fear? Are they sweating profusely? So things like that. So she looked nervous. And just by her attire and what I described, my antenna was up. And so after what I thought was a failure by airport security, when we went up to check our bags in, I said to the attendant, um, this girl who was just at the a desk with that adult female. I'm very concerned about her. Um, she could be in danger. So I spoke to two other security guards and they, to be honest, when I was talking to them, they, it was like I was speaking a foreign language. And so I, I just said, please have someone speak to her when they're separated as, as she was flying solo as a youth to California by herself. Um, I just asked that they please speak with her, get the real story, you know, get all the details and assess from there if they should intervene or not. So it's, you know, I tell people it's like shopping for a new car. 
like once you study and learn and know what you're looking for, you just see it everywhere. And so I do frequently see human trafficking scenarios at the airport and just knowing what to look for, knowing how to go, you know, be bold, be brave, go to security because um, just like the same thing with an abuser who's abusing an, a child, the more that we are speaking up about it, the more training we have to speak up ourselves and be noticing it, then there's going to be um, some hesitation and trepidation when people are trying to um, traffic people through airports. So that was that's a really detailed breakdown of what you can look for in airports, but I just encourage you to say something. Like, um, if you see something, say something. Did you get any validation after that experience? I did not. I, I, you know, you feel so helpless, like you, but I did what I could do. I saw something. Um, I was, I thought this does not look good. Um, can I say 100% that she's being trafficked? No, but it looked very suspicious. So um, just trust your gut. You know, we always try to override that initial gut feeling with our head and that can lead to problems. So trust your initial gut instinct. It's much better to be, to be wrong um, or slightly embarrassed than to say nothing. At so. what point do you take it in your own hands? So let's say, I mean, as a veteran, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes I feel like the airport security, I mean, the, the skill level there and awareness and the training is just not there at all. You know, I mean, it's almost, uh, you know, nothing to demean the airport security, but you know, almost like a glorified mall cop. So, you know, mm -hmm. if I, I was in your situation, I would not have any confidence that they would do what needed to be done. So what do you do in that situation? I mean, what is the legality of you stepping in and doing something? Well, you can also contact local law enforcement. You can contact Homeland Security. So Homeland Security and TSA checkpoints, you know, TSA is part of Homeland Security. So you can um, go there as well. If you, I mean, I have some contacts within uh, those areas. So, so if I weren't flying out somewhere, I could have made some follow-up calls, but I'm like, I did what I could do in this situation. Uh, within nail salons, I see a lot of suspicious activity. And a few months ago, I was leaving a nail salon and I saw there was a 16 year old and she had, she had colored hair. Uh, she wasn't dressed super appropriately for the weather. It was cold out and she wasn't wearing enough uh, warm clothing. Uh, so that's another indicator. And there were two guys, maybe in their early 20s, just looked sketchy, kind of disheveled and rough. And they were around the corner and I was leaving and I just did not feel right about leaving. And so I uh, knelt down next to the girl. And so the other two, the two gentlemen waiting for her couldn't see me. And I just asked her if she was okay. And she looked very nervous and she's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. And I said, are you safe? And she said nervously, yeah, 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 I'm fine. So I can't do anything in that situation. If she did need something, I could step outside by myself, make a call and wait. Um, however, just 
um, if you if you have access, I mean, we all have access to law enforcement. Unfortunately, not all. There are only certain people within law enforcement that have um, awareness and knowledge of human trafficking. It's more often falls it falls on the narcotics investigators because human trafficking and drug trafficking go hand in hand, and there's a lot of overlap. So just being able to pay attention, notice it, make a call. I would never advise, I know Martin, you have a specialized level of training and I have been trained also on rescue operations as well by the Association for the Recovery of Children, but I would never ever go into a situation alone. I have people I can call to, to help and provide backup. And you could also be deputized if, you know, Martin, if you work closely with law enforcement, you can be deputized and have some authority to, to, um, to take action. But the best thing you can do as a civilian is pay attention and make the call. I do not, do not get involved. Do not get in the middle of the situation period, because you could be putting your, your life in danger. It's funny that you mentioned nail salons. We we legitimately have a nail salon here in town that recently there was a lot of sketchy activity going on there. They there was it was open twenty four hours a day, and it would be people coming in and out. And there was a it was cash only, and there was an ATM like in right in the entryway, and the guy actually slept there. Well, then it turns out about two weeks after people started noticing it, it comes out that uh, he's selling crack out of the nail salon. And so you could go in, knock on the front door. He'd open the door. You'd go to the ATM and get your cash if you didn't have it on you. And then and then you could you could get your little your crack fix. And this is right on Main East Washington Boulevard in Madison, Wisconsin. So it's 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 funny that you mentioned that that nail salons and the sketchy activity because yeah, legitimately that that happened right here. Wow. Yes. A lot of, a lot of wild things have been happening in Madison for many years. Um, but, and also massage parlors, huge, huge hotels. So for example, within, um, within the training that is done with banks and financial institutions, those are red flags, um, to be, to be watching for the, um, much of the cartels own hotels in border towns in Texas. And so their income looks completely different than, you know, just hotel ABC in the Midwest. So, okay, they've got um, their, what they bring in is substantially higher than an average hotel. So what are they doing with that? How are they um, hiding it? How are they laundering it? Um, so that's just one one area there. Um, I can, would you like me to explain uh, a human trafficking ring and the layers within it yeah. and what that looks like? Absolutely. So, so within, um, in the Twin Cities, we had a lot of um, unrest and uh, there were riots and traffickers and exploiters will take advantage of chaos. So we know trafficking happens at large sporting events, like, you know, the Super Bowl, the Final Four. And, you know, the day after the war broke out in Ukraine, there were Ukrainian women being advertised for sale for sex on Pornhub. So, I mean, it's just utterly ridiculous. These traffickers are entrepreneurs in the worst sense of the word and want to take advantage of 
um, a volatile situation. So locally, there was a scheme that rolled out in a neighborhood. So we had a lot of unmarked cars coming into the state, um, causing vandalism. And then once things had died down, these cars continued to come in. Um, one particular apartment complex had um, frequent visitors. So sex buyers are referred to as Johns. So neighbors were watching and um, for months, a stream of people would come in. So sometimes during the day, it would be like every 10, 15 minutes a John was coming in and out of an apartment complex. So neighbors were huge in um, tackling this and reporting it to the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension, which was, I commend them for doing that because it's a very dangerous situation. But just to give you an idea of the layers involved, once it was reported, so then it's a local Mexican gang that is um, that is involved in child trafficking. So what did the what do they do when the authorities are coming in? Well, they flush the drugs down the toilet. So then you've got the plumbers coming over. So then the plumbers know what's going on and whether or not they're taking a like a cut of hush money, you know, that may or may not be, or if they're threatened um, not to disclose information. But you've got the layers of management. Uh, you've got the on-site uh, apartment complex manager. So what's, um, you know, he's getting a payout from, from keeping quiet or he's threatened. And then you have a local management company knowing about um, what's going on. So they've got their level involvement. And then you have the owner who's out of state also knowing what is going on. So, so these are intricate layers here where it takes a whole system. It's not where like exploitation is one exploiter and one victim, but human trafficking can look very, very different. You have, um, you have the lead trafficker or, or traffickers, and then you have the uh, recruiters or groomers and then you have um, a victim or victims. So, and that, so I'm just tossing out one way that a scenario can unfold and how if you're watching in your community and being aware, it's like, what is this person? A per is this a personal trainer who lives over here? Is this a massage therapist doing massage out of their home? I see people coming in and out frequently. What is going on? So um, just being aware and not being afraid to, um, to say something because, I mean, children were, um, were involved in this situation and some of them did not survive. So this is serious. This is beyond serious. And um, if we as a society, as a collective, can't safeguard and protect our children, that's a colossal failure, in my opinion. So um, it's damaging in just in many, many ways going forward and ancestrally. It's, it's, uh, so it's part of our duty as citizens is being aware and reporting because this is not a faraway industry. The, this is, the U.S. is the number one demand of sex buying. And the U.S. just recently um, became at the top of the list for hosting the most URLs for child sexual abuse material. So we are in a really, really 
we're in a huge predicament. So more people are enslaved now than ever before in, in our entire history. So there, it's about a 150 billion, that's a B dollar industry. It's the fastest growing criminal enterprise worldwide. So, I mean, if you think about illegal arms, you think about the drug trade, like boom, like human trafficking is just exploding off the charts just in the last five years. I don't like to get too heavy in statistics, but these are important ones. Um, just in the last five years, um, a, the number of people who ha are enslaved have jumped from 40 million to 50 million people. And that isn't even, um, that isn't even grasping the total because that's just uh, what they can extrapolate from reports. So it's, um, it is, it's not a problem that's going to go away on its own. It's very, very lucrative. And, you know, money is the root of, of many evils in our society. And this is the fastest growing one. So we can all do something. Um, the majority of people are truly good people who want what is best for you and your family. But in every single sector, I mean, every sector, businesses, NGOs, government, you know, state orgs, law enforcement, um, education, you're going to have your, your, your people who are unethical, um, maybe even corrupt, who are going to completely disregard um, what is right, what is just and, and do it for the and just be super selfish, and um, not care if it affects if them making money, if that affects someone else, or if someone else dies, um, if someone else is a sex slave, they don't care. It's all about making money. Yeah, just to support what you're saying there, it's the situation that I'd mentioned in the podcast a couple of times. I know we just uh, talked about it just before we uh, got on air here um, that I was involved in was not just a rescue, but it was a learning experience. Um, what you said, Rosie, about how close it is to us. Uh, I didn't realize, I mean, it's uh, literally, you know, five miles down the road, you know, five to seven miles down the road. Um, there were, you know, basically there was a gal that was, that had been enslaved for, for a while, for years. And she got out, but she got roped back in because, you know, drugs and trafficking go hand in hand and they got her back in. Um, then we got her out. I talked to her, got some information and it just reinforces the layers that you're talking about. I mean, there's a lot of people that may not be directly have their hands involved in it, but there are officials, elected officials who turn their back. You know, there's law enforcement, some law enforcement that have turned their back to allow it to happen. And how close it is to us, Paul, is literally the chain of hotels. I'm not talking like a hotel. There's a bunch of hotels that are just literally down the road from us that, you know, we had to go into and just to see the vehicles that were parked there. I mean, if you're seeing a, a tinted out sedan, uh, for us being in Wisconsin, there's a tinted out sedan from um, at, uh, from Georgia, from Indianapolis. You know, they were taking these gals and literally the minute they grab somebody, they're driving down south and they're gone. Um, but we, we got this girl out. Um, the first we missed the first we had her set up for uh, for rehab 
and the rehab was going to bring her back. Um, I know, I know I'm talking real vaguely without a ton of detail, but there's, you know, within the, the Dane County area, there is a group, there's an organization that's building a, a housing structure that will be able to bring these gals back. So probably hand in hand with what you're doing, Rosie, uh, bring them back, get them basically housed, train them how to, you know, basically function in society, um, you know, get, get them back on their feet again. So there's just a lot that's been going on that I didn't know. You probably, like you said, it's been in Madison for a while, but I just got firsthand seeing how just horrible it is. And just uh, the people that are involved from top down, like you said, it's not, it's not just a person driving in a park, taking somebody it's, yeah, you got their groomers and you got, you know, people at the top level, which, you know, to me, I mean, I had to come back and say, you know what, elections this November 8th is really important because there's people in our county that are just letting this happen. And it's because of the money. Um, but like, so the, the blessing is, you know, we got this gal back after we lost her, got her on a second flight, got her rehab. And at this point, uh, she probably won't be coming back to the state. There's just, there's just too much bad influence here for her. So, um, you know, but that's one out, you know, there's still so many questions and, um, holes as to who's involved. So it's, uh, yeah, it supports what you're saying. That's really that's well first of all thank you for being involved in that that's really remarkable and a, there's a small sector of people who can have the skills to do that and have the stomach to do that so thank you martin and one huge one very large need is that when people are pulled from trafficking which is pretty rare i must say that's why prevention is so important let's put the guardrails up we can't we're a reactive society, so that's the problem. But one huge need is that when people do come out of trafficking, um, it is a, just, they're so heavily manipulated and brainwashed into thinking they're a commodity. So sometimes they can fall back into the life because that's what they know. It's similar to like a cult, a religious cult survivor. Um, so it's just what they know. Yeah. It's what they think they're all that they're good for and they can fall back into that. However, um, a, a large, a big need is housing for survivors and um, mentorship for survivors, teaching job skills and healing is, is beautiful and wonderful and new neural pathways can be developed and grow within the brain. So I've, I've seen it happen and it's uh, just remarkable. It's awesome. So never to give up hope in helping people. There's an organization in the Twin Cities called Stories Foundation. Uh, they're building a cafe and the cafe will serve as a hub in the community for anti-trafficking and have housing within it for survivors and uh, be self-sustaining. So by selling food and then being able to offer a variety of programs. So in my opinion, every community needs a type of storyteller cafe to, to help. It's, um, a, it's a beautiful way that people can come alongside this issue and, and do something. So um, should we, do you want me to talk about what the everyday person can do? Uh, to help. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, definitely. Give me one. I, I, I got to pull a Martin here and I, not to get political, right? Not to get political. <laughs> We're going to put that on a t-shirt for Martin, but oh. I have to, I have to channel my, my inner libertarian on this point because so much of what's happening is happening because of drugs. And it's because of the way that society looks at drugs. It's, it's because of how, how dark drugs are considered. And yes, I think I think that a lot of drugs, especially, um, you know, especially the really, really hard drugs, I think I think they are wrong. But the fact that we make them so illegal and so black market and so dark sided is what pushes a lot of these people who start a majority of opium opioid users started on prescription drugs and then they get so hooked on prescription drugs that their brains are need these opioids to even function and then it's a lot easier to go get street drugs to fill that once you can no longer get prescriptions so this is where i think that some of the countries like portugal who have completely decriminalized drugs have have a step up on on our kind of vanilla society here in america because if we if we decriminalized these drugs and turned it into an illness that you're able to go get treatment for and made it so that you didn't have to go to your, you know, your corner crack house to get your, to get your opioids because then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're beholden to your crack dealer. And then maybe he starts to slowly get you into this lifestyle. If we were able to intelligently look at the way that, that we look at drugs in our society and look at it as more of an illness and, and, and we can start to treat it and we can start to help people and we can, they don't have to go to these, these dark corner places to, to deal with it. I think that we would have a much improved, um, uh, that 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 entry into the into the trafficking into the the sex workers into all of those things would be so much more improved. We're still gonna have all these other little these little shoots, but I feel like a, a majority of the people that end up in this life is because of drugs. Mm, yes, and and to to just go back from what you're saying is like the why. So why drugs? Um, or addictions are coping mechanisms for pain, for past trauma. And so if we had a more trauma-informed society, we, we would be far, we would be advanced and blazing trails for, for helping people and eliminating, um, greatly reducing, not eliminating, but greatly reducing the need for these addictions. But a huge, just being in this space, and learning um, how prevalent assaults are, like one in three women experience a form of uh, sexual assault, um, according to Rain, uh, before the age of 18, that's, that's unacceptable. And the amount of people who experience a form of sexual abuse, it's like one in four girls and one in six boys. So the stories that I continually hear, um, it's an epidemic. So in addition to those types of sexual traumas, I'm, I'm saying that because the majority of people who have been trafficked have had um, a sexual trauma. And so if you, if that's, if that's, you've had that experienced and it's not far from the realm of normal, then it, you can more easily slide into this slippery slope of, oh, big deal. You know, I'm just selling myself for now. You know, I need a place to sleep or I need something to eat, you know, no big deal. And then it's a very, it can be a very dangerous slope. Um, 
um, from there. So going back to why people even want to use opioids and have drug addictions is largely related to traumatic experiences. So having a better, having more compassion and empathy for people who have, um, because especially alcohol, I know you talked about opioids, but alcohol is socially acceptable and it's the easiest um, addiction to fall into to mask uh, your pain and you can hide it. So you can hide it so well because um, because it is socially acceptable, but having compassion and understanding for why people choose that way. Um, and congratulations, you found a coping mechanism, but let's just, let's just teach you how to find a healthy one and move forward. Because with the, with the explosion of opioids and our open borders, um, that is allowing some dangerous and lethal drugs into our into the U.S. and then you know gangs want their cut on that, and then drugs then are consumable. But a human is a reusable commodity. So the the people in, with gang involvement um, say, "All right, we can make way more money off selling people than drugs, but let's use them both because we have to drug up these people in order for them to comply and do you know." have sex with multiple people, you know, it can be 10 times a day. Uh, so it's just, it's destructive on so many levels. Um, people who experience this are, um, are just broken. And it's, I've heard within the training, the question comes, how do you, how do you kill a person without taking their life is you put them into sex slavery. So it's a, it is beyond damaging, but healing is healing. Healing can happen. Um, it is beautiful. I've witnessed it. And so I would just, that's my motivation for people like just when you see something, say something because no human being is a lost cause. There are other, other countries look differently at human life. Um, it, it's, if you've, traveled and I've heard different stories from different people. And I mean, we, we do, the majority of us in the U S value human life. And if you see someone in a, in a situation, or you see someone in the lake, um, having trouble, you want to go help them. Right. Well, it's not the same in other countries. Um, there's just not the same, the same value placed. So, uh, that's where we do have a leg up where, um, we live in a civil society and we want to see people succeed. So when we can, we can encourage and infuse the majority who are good to be stepping up, speaking out, taking action. Uh, that is, we can, we can definitely change the tide and turn this into a different, completely different situation for the next generation. Okay. Next, next actionable step. Okay. So what can the everyday person do? Um, so I'm going to go through a list and then I'll give you tangible action steps. So number one is learn. Like when I found out the reason I'm in this space is because um, within my community, someone I know, their children were pulled into a, their toddlers were pulled into a very sophisticated sex trafficking ring by the in-home nanny. So very, very vile, very dark. 
and destructive on many levels. So that is how I entered into this space. I didn't go down rabbit holes. I wasn't reading news stories and did research on my own. I'm in this space because of real situations that have happened to people who I know and love. So the first thing I did, I joined the state's human trafficking task force to educate myself. Um, to find out what I could do. So learn, I would encourage you to learn and then share, share what you're learning. Don't, you know, if you have, if you're out with friends, you can just touch on this and say, Hey, I heard this podcast or I heard about this nonprofit. Um, do you want to go volunteer with me? Do you want to check them out? Should we vet them and see uh, the work that they're doing? If we want to come alongside them, um, you can help teach and educate other people. Uh, just like we talked about reporting what you're seeing, say something and encourage people. Um, a neighbor of mine, after just going for a walk and she was asking me, um, well, how did you get into this, Rosie? And I told her and I told her what to look for. She interrupted something at the airport herself. Um, a child was um, a child who was Spanish speaking was with an adult male who was not Spanish speaking and um, they, she was crying and he wasn't consoling her and that's not what a real parent does. And so he made up an excuse about why she was crying. Um, the energy between them just felt like really cold. And so she took it upon herself to contact airport security and they intervened. So awesome, awesome. So that's what I would encourage you to talk about it and, and um, don't be afraid to speak up. So it, because it's not my problem, it's not your problem, it's the collective's problem. So when we just think, oh, I'm, I just can't, like, it's too much. I've got too much going on. We're all busy. We're all pulled in many, many directions, but it doesn't take much extra effort to be watching and reporting. So, and consuming responsibly, being mindful of where you buy your clothes, being mindful of, you know, if you're in a business and um, involved in supply chain, just be, what, where is this coming from? Um, I know a company that um, part of their manufacturing was in China. And when they went to, um, to renew their contract with this manufacturing company, the um, the person trying to entice them to continue the contract said, yes, I'll give you a $10,000 bonus if you sign with us. And you can choose three women to take back to your hotel from our, um, from our facility. Here, I'll take you. I'll, I'll show you which three women you can take back. And so he, um, is, he thought, oh my gosh, disgusting. Like, no, I don't want to do that. He's a happily married man with with children and no thanks. So um, he was wondering what he should do. And I said, what did you do? And he said, I cut ties with them and we went with a different manufacturer. Boom. Like, there you go. No, thanks. I'm not engaging with you. We are taking our business elsewhere. That's exactly what you can do as, an, as a consumer. Be mindful, take your business elsewhere. Um, give back, volunteer. Uh, a huge part of what we're what we're dealing with is the breakdown of the family unit. So people who don't have like active and engaged parents, or even if they do, like I've seen some people with um, parents working two very busy jobs that take them away from the home. I've seen trafficking happen in those 
um, familiar, those situations because the kid wants attention. So even though there are two parents around, it doesn't mean they're always getting attention. So that's why I say be an active and engaged parent, or just because maybe you're, you know, men, there's divorce is very common and that you can still set your children up for success by being active and engaged and present. So being a mentor, like just volunteering at like a middle school or high school is very, very important. Coaching. I mean, I've seen some situations where coaches can be a lifeline for kids, especially with, you know, if you have kids on your team whose um, parents are working multiple jobs and don't have time, offer to give the kid a ride to practice. I mean, come on, just take a few extra minutes. That is giving this kid an outlet. So coaches and coaches are, are, are game changers and life changers. Uh, and connecting, connecting with people, um, within, you know, whatever sector you're in, within your business, within your church, um, within youth organizations. And I have some, I have some more tangible steps I can read too. Um, being proactive with online safety is huge because we're navigating an age that has not been navigated before. Um, so find a vetted nonprofit in your area and support them. So locally, I've brought up Stories Foundation in the Twin Cities. Their um, Association for the Recovery of Children is excellent. They provide. They will bring an equipping training to your town if you want to partner with them to set it up. Um, if you would like to receive extensive training on how to do uh, rescue work, uh, how to do, you'll learn gang infiltration, you'll learn safe house setup, you'll learn about trauma, aftercare, and recovery. So I highly recommend Association for the Recovery of Children and Vets for Child Rescue is another fan, just outstanding organization. They have um, a documentary called Contraland, which is an eye-opener and a, a big educational tool uh, using using technology, like storytelling, and speaking of technology, documentaries or videos and sharing them with people, factual, you know, make sure you're not disseminating information that's not factual. So back it up, do your research, make sure the nonprofit's vetted or who, whomever is uh, spreading that information. And um, there are lots of different books by survivors. There's a survivor um, locally in the Twin Cities. Her name's Tiffany Jacobson. She wrote a book um, about her story called Overcomers. So that's a way you can educate yourself and support survivors. So her book is available on um, storiesfoundation.org. Um, I would highly recommend uh, doing assault safety, like doing a, an assault safety training, especially if you have a sports team. Many sports teams reach out to me about um, learning some self-defense skills. And I will, I've gotten really picky. I say, I'm happy to teach you some basic self-defense moves, but I don't want to give anyone a false sense of security because in reality, when 91% of exploitation occurs um, digitally, you learning a few self-defense moves one time is really not going to do much. It's if you really want to go that route, go um, to go invest in a martial arts training for an extended period of time. 
I know um, that has saved lives for many different people who I talk to, um, but particularly if you have a student, if you have a, um, a kiddo heading off to college or, um, or doing something post high school, um, they're, they're off on their own, have them, have them trained, have them equipped for how to navigate the world and um, know how to defend themselves. Uh, because because really the majority of defense is preparation and awareness, the buddy system, being aware of your surroundings and uh, and infusing that situational awareness that we all have within us, especially kids are super in tune, but we're so distracted. There are intentional distractions infused in our digital age to take take us away from important things uh, that we should be paying attention to, uh, like our kids. So just be mindful of that. Be disciplined with your what you're consuming digitally. Um, one, um, I can, we don't like to talk about the weather, right? Um, so one huge feeder of exploitation is the porn industry. And so gone are the days, you know, when I was growing up, you would have to go to a video store. You'd have to go buy a magazine. Maybe you'd see a magazine at your friend's house. And now some very vile uh, content is accessible at the touch of a fingertip. So really talking about this with your, with your kids. And if they do see something to come to you and talk to you about it, because um, what is what can be frightening in this space is that not only are we up against um, perpetrators who are people who can't break the cycle themselves. Uh, maybe they've been experienced abuse or assault or grew up in a violent home and they, they perpetuate that abuse um, as they're older and in their relationships. So we've got the people who can't break the cycle. Then we are also creating monsters through um, this um, violent pornography that is easily accessible online. So within um, the high schools, I see a lot of their dudes who brag about assaulting girls and then girls who are afraid to speak up. So really a, an extremely simple strategy to, to help kids and to combat this is igniting a student-led group. Um, students really get empowered by coming together and serving as watchdogs for one another, talking about safe dating and red flags and what to look out for and, and how to communicate with each other for help. So um, I'd say the, like the proudest thing I can do as a parent is teaching my kids, especially my boys, about how to respect um how to respect women and and um, have real and true relationships with women, not just based on the exterior and the physical and to be actually wanting to be friends first. So we're up against a lot, but there is so much that that you can do as an individual. Um, I like to quote Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So uh, just being a kind person and looking out, not just for yourself, not just for your own, but, you know, extending yourself to other people um, from time to time, that changes the tide. It, it really, because 
so incredibly intuitive and healing on many, many ways. Um, I, I'm a dog lover. I'm a horse lover. Um, equine therapy is also just incredible um, for healing. Horses are so intuitive. And for people, for um, survivors um, of human trafficking and other abuses, it is really awesome to be around horses and pets because um, with the distrust of people, you can um, shift and learn um, to, to get some extra support from from an animal. So it's it's really uh, it's really awesome. Vets for Child Rescue partners with a ranch in Arizona, um, so you can check out um, Veterans for Child Rescue if you want to look into that. So. Many, many things. I've met so many incredible people in this space who give me a lot of hope. I meet people like you guys who who aren't afraid to open up your podcast platform and talk about difficult things. So um, I have a lot of hope for um, for changes that we can make and and going against the trends that are um, that are out there. You know, we always talk about it here. Is like the big building, right? You look at a big, like, I guess I'm in my window, big skyscraper, right? And that big skyscraper, yes, it's huge. It's amazing. It's massive. But that big skyscraper started as like a foundation and it started as support beams and it started as all these little pieces. And, and we talk about that with your, your physical fitness, your physical intelligence, your spirituality, your emotional intelligence. We talk about that with all of it. And as far as like being a, a being a, 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 a aware and an alert and an engaged parent like first of all you're going to have to realize that you are the parent you're not your kid's best friend so when you implement things like we did in our household where like electronic devices don't go in bedrooms like electronic devices stay on the main level of the house and they stay in main group areas these are things that like like kids are going to hate you they're going to hate you for it for a second they're going to be really mad at you. And if you're a parent of a 13 year old and you're going to try to implement this now, I'm sorry. Like it is not going to go over well when they've already had this device for so long and been able to do whatever they want with it. But these are, but these are things that you just have to think of and you just have to implement. And how do you think of these things and how do you implement them? Well, part of it starts with like actually putting some, some mind effort into it and stepping back and sitting down and not looking at your phone for two hours when you have some free time, actually just sitting there in the quiet and thinking about what you, what you can do to improve, right? If, if, should you let your, you know, your, your 13 year old daughter go to a high school party overnight? No, we all know that, but how many, how many do? Well, a lot. And it's like these type of things where yes, Maybe you're not going to be the most popular person in their life, but I'm sorry, you're a parent and that's part of your job is knowing what is best for them or at least trying to do what is best for them when they want something else. I completely agree. I use that line all the time. Like we're not like I'm your parent. I'm not your BFF. So you'll, you know, and they'll never appreciate it until they have kids. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> they when they know, get older, they look back and go, oh. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you. I guess you just wanted to protect me, and because you love me so much, I'll realize it at some point. Well, we just rolled over an hour, and we only got through one of the three topics we're going to try to hit. So we're probably going to have to reschedule another one of these for a few weeks or a few months away. So, um, Martin, do you have anything else? No, no, I'm good. I'm just, uh, yeah, 
I think it kind of echoes what we talked about a couple of weeks ago about situational awareness. I mean, that is your best defense. So, yeah, kudos. Glad we could catch up again. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thanks for coming on and thanks for, for giving us your time. Oh, it was my privilege. And thank you both for what you're doing. And um, thank you so much for inviting me back. Awesome.